I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. And again, I always love it when I'm able to connect with amazing people from Twitter. Today, I have Jenny Kuta, who is the CEO and founder of coinlinked.com. Jenny, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you, David, and uh, such an honor, um, you know, to have uh, to have me on your show. And I love your podcast. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for that. Working hard to provide as much information as we can to those that are trying to learn about this world. So Jenny is a veteran of Wall Street. Uh, she has been the founder and CEO of uh, Titan Securities, a full service brokerage uh, brokerage dealer, and uh, investment banking firm. So So you have had a time in your life where you focused on the traditional uh, financial world, and now you have jumped that chasm to digital assets and to all things blockchain. And so what we'd like to do is, one, as I alluded to, I just gave uh, a quick uh, 30 seconds on your past, but we'd love to you expound about your your past and finance from the traditional side, as I say, air quotes, and then... When did you have that moment of clarity? When did you find out about digital assets? When did you find out about Bitcoin and blockchain? And what really resonated with you? What was it about uh, the the technology that really said to you, I have to be a founder again and I have to go into this world? So a little bit about your past and especially your world, your life in traditional assets and traditional finance and that moment when you really uh, found yourself intrigued about digital assets and blockchains. Yes, thank you, David. Uh, sure, a little bit about my past, obviously. Uh, I um, I did come from traditional finance, very, very heavily in traditional finance because uh, uh, I founded uh, two uh, broker-dealers, uh, FINRA register broker-dealers. Uh, I believe uh, to this very day, I'm probably one of the very few female founders who have done that found two not just one but twice that's amazing uh they both yes they and it's very very difficult because obviously you have to go through uh regulations not only from the sec but that of uh finra authority um and as a founder of uh, a broker dealer uh to those who have done it uh they would know that uh, uh you either have to hire a compliance officer to help draft a, a compliance manual from the ground up. Uh, but when I did it, um, uh, I literally wrote the compliance manual for myself because I don't know how the process is today, which I'm assuming is the same. 
But prior to the SEC and FINRA approve you to run a broker-dealer, you have to go through a personal one-on-one interview, Mm -hmm. sometimes one-on-three, meaning the founder is one. On the opposite side, FINRA and the SEC, there's probably two or three of them. They would ask you different kind of regulation right point blank. Mm -hmm. So if you don't either write the compliance manual yourself or help write it, you would not know the answer when they ask you, and therefore, mm-hmm. you would fail, and you will never have the approval to open a broker dealer. So mm-hmm. that's a short version to the long version. So, you know, that time when I, I, I did that twice, I was very, very proud of myself looking back. Uh, would I do it again today? Maybe. It's fun. But I love what I do now, which is being the founder and CEO of CoinLink. To answer the second part of your question, when and how did I uh, merge myself into digital assets and decentralization and, of course, my love for Bitcoin? Um, Of course, like everyone else, I start hearing about uh, Bitcoin uh, 2013, 2014. Uh, but I believe it was the Winklevoss twins uh, through the movie of the social network that literally shine uh, more light on Bitcoin uh, for me at first uh, when it was just a curiosity uh, like, you know, what is this Bitcoin that that these twins now are diving into? Mm. So um, I start taking really serious uh, probably around 2016 and in terms of why, what seriousness, uh, obviously, decentralization is key. And I believe uh, more and more now with what is happening around the world, COVID-19, uh, President Trump, uh, you know, uh, CNN this morning, uh, all the crazy things, I believe. Um, uh, and of course, social media, uh, how to track, you know, uh, verify uh, uh uh, uh, people's accuracy of their tweets or what they say. Mm-hmm. All of these things, I believe, eventually will lead us to a perfect decentralization world. Uh, back to Bitcoin, uh, my love for Bitcoin. Of course, it had to do with a number of things. Uh, the scarcity of it, uh, the divisibility of it, of it mm-hmm. having only just 21 million uh, max, uh, the utility side of it. Uh, the durability side of it, and of course how um, it couldn't be count, counterfeited uh, because of how uh, Bitcoin uh, and uh, the blockchain is uh, connected. So uh, that's just you know my 60 seconds of, uh, of both of those areas. Now, I would love to get your opinion on this. So what happened this week was Goldman Sachs hosted a conference call in their uh, ISG, in their investment uh, group. And they had produced a deck that accompanied that. And uh, as Jenny knows, everyone on Twitter went awry because it seemed that the folks at Goldman Sachs did not really do any updated homework on this. They used a lot of narratives and data uh, and themes that were present in digital assets circa 2016. 
And one of the things you just alluded to was the scarcity factor. Um, as you alluded to, Bitcoin uh, has 21 million as their hard cap. 18 and a half million of them as a date of this recording have been mined. About three or four million of them have been lost due to queue management issues. Um, and so roughly there's about another 2.5 million that will be mined in the next 90 years, give or take, based on the modeling and the happenings that will happen in the future. Um, but in their deck, they mentioned that Bitcoin was not a scarce asset. Um, and so, again, we love getting people that can marry. And I'm not asking you to opine about Goldman Sachs or to naysay what they did. Um, but I'm, I'd love to get your sense coming from the traditional world and now understanding Bitcoin in your opinion, do you think that the traditional world, the traditional finance world might be threatened by Bitcoin? Oh, definitely. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, and we, we, you know, let's start looking uh, back at uh, Jamie Dimon of uh, JP Morgan, which, uh, interestingly enough, when I started out on Wall Street right after I graduated from college, uh, I had a $10, $10 per hour job at Shearson Lehman Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not that old, but uh, at the time, um, uh, it merged with American Express and then a couple more merges. Uh, and now they're a part of the uh, JP Morgan uh, group, financial group. So, uh, of course, uh, Chase Bank, obviously, too, as well. So through Jamie, uh, we all know the history. Uh, five or six years ago, he he trashed Bitcoin. He continued to, uh, you know, degrade Bitcoin uh, just probably two years ago until they were one of the first uh, to come out with their own um, uh, staple uh, coin of some sort. I believe it was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing about traditional uh, finance versus um, decentralized DeFi is that uh, exactly like what you're saying, uh, there's threatened. Okay, uh, and not only they're threatened, they have to make changes to their own philosophy of belief of the monetary system. Okay, the monetary supply. Mm-hmm. What that means is that um, if we look at the data, a majority of the the holders uh, of Bitcoin are actually millennials. Uh, the next, I believe, it was at, it's at least fifty five percent for millennials. Then the next step is the younger generation of uh, uh, Generation X. I would fall in there. Okay, even older Generation uh, X uh, um, still kind of weary about you know Bitcoin, the believing it, owning it. And then we talk about baby boomers. The numbers start falling off. Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of the traditional finance. Uh, we talk even. Uh, Chairman Clayton, uh, they're more towards um, baby boomers. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take them a lot longer to understand the technology behind uh, Bitcoin, uh, blockchain, for them to be um, uh, uh, thoroughly convinced. Now, no one can convince them. We as Bitcoin believers cannot convince them. They themselves have to convince themselves. And by reading through what we say on Twitter and all the, the, the or even through their investors, what I find that is amazing with the Goldman Sachs uh, conference call with their investor is that 
I believe that it was their investor who requested such, mm-hmm. okay, for them to do such. So the power is it's 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 kind of against them now. Their investor has to more of their investor have to make the call by saying we want to know more about Bitcoin. Tell us so they have to do all the homework, and then they come out with the conclusion that they did, which which we all heard, you know, yesterday, two days ago, uh, on, you know, with their um, uh, 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 their news broke. Right. Um, my thing uh, regarding traditional finance and um, DeFi. Uh, it, you know, is that eventually, regardless if they uh, like it or not, uh, just like Jamie Dimon, they have no choice. I mean, look at the the deficit uh, of the United States. I believe since coronavirus broke beginning of this year to now, we probably print at least $10 trillion already. Okay. that That's just a crazy number. Yeah. And if if we don't digitize uh, money, currency, uh, how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, the only choice is has to be towards digitalization, mm-hmm. uh, and Bitcoin is the king, and it's a part of that, and uh, and that's how I that's how I see and how I believe, and eventually traditional finance would have to follow, and they would have to adapt. I agree. And you're absolutely correct. I think the consensus was is that the Paul Tudor Jones letter that came out about two weeks ago in which it was an incredibly thorough analysis of Bitcoin uh, in which they have obviously now acted upon it. And Paul Tudor Jones is putting one to two percent of his assets into Bitcoin vis-a-vis the CME. Um, Obviously, that drew the ire of uh, many other family offices and institutional investors. Uh, they wanted to see what Goldman had to think about it. And uh, as we alluded to, unfortunately, it seems that Goldman did not do much of their homework. Um, but I want to shift gears to coin length. And as you were alluding to, the digitization of money. And so about 92 to 93 percent of money is already digital. Only about 7 percent of it is actually physical. But as we've seen with COVID, uh, we've seen the sequestering of, of actual physical fiat uh, because the virus could actually live on it. Um, and so that was something that we started to see towards the end of January into the beginning of February. Uh, China started to sequester their actual physical fiat. Um, it hasn't really happened here in the United States, but you started to see that elsewhere. And so with CoinLinked, uh, it is what you allude to as an American online social commerce platform powered by a decentralized blockchain solution to connect the traditional marketplaces of today with the digital currencies of tomorrow. And so would love to get your uh, kind of one-on-one on this for people that aren't familiar with CoinLinked and might be checking it out after they listen to the to the podcast. Where did this come about? How did this come about? And in this world that we're starting to see, as I alluded to, with the, the furthering of mobile and digitalization of monies, we are seeing Alipay, we are seeing WeChat, we are seeing other uh, folks out there like Telegram, which unfortunately failed at their at their uh, perspective uh, project. Um, but we are seeing this as an evolution where you're starting to see the marriage of social media and you're starting to see the marriage of payments come together. Uh, so give us a little background on CoinLink, and then I would love to hear kind of your thoughts about how this is all going to kind of merge, and where are we in the cycle? Is it are we getting really, really close to the adoption of this worldwide, or do you think we still have a little bit ways to go? 
Thank you. Great, great question, David. Um, I'll take the first part. Um, coming out of traditional traditional finance and being an entrepreneur and being in tech, uh, I started diving into the idea of CoinLink uh, a little bit over two and a half years ago. Again, around the same time uh, that I start learning about Bitcoin and de- decentralization. Um, so to date, uh, cryptocurrency has not gained mainstream adoption, partly due to the volatility and the lack of scalability. Okay, uh, there are, like you've mentioned, there are quite a few platforms that accept Bitcoin uh, or to facilitate crypto e-commerce, such as Lolly. Uh, I respect them very, very much. Full Moon, Binance Card, uh, Bit BitPay, uh, to even uh, a couple of uh, Visa cards, such as uh, Coin Coinbase mm-hmm. uh, has mentioned a Visa card. Now, the difference with all of these that I've just listed and uh, versus uh, CoinLink uh, is that the visa process is similar to that of us applying for a visa. You got, you got to go through an application process uh, like through Coinbase and you got to apply and you got to go through the approval process. Um, and, you know, and Companies like um, uh, Lolly, uh, they have to go through the process of uh, making um, deals with different uh, merchants and vendors around the world. Uh, I believe they have anywhere between 700 to 1,000 merchants now. Uh, and so for their users to purchase something at these merchants, uh, their, their consumers or buyers or users uh, get some uh, rebates back of Bitcoin. All great, respect everybody because we're all in the same community trying to get uh, more mass adoption and scalability, okay? With CoinLink, uh, it's a seamless approach behind on our back end, okay? So basically, we currently, we launched just only two and a half weeks ago. Uh, We only accept Bitcoin and Ethereum at the moment. Uh, but we are currently planning to add more cryptos and stable coins to the platform as the as the platform grows. Uh, user basically register for a simple account like that if you open a Twitter or a Facebook or an Amazon. It's it's free. Uh, they click one button, buy. They fill out an order form. They copy and paste uh, a link of an item from any website around the world that they wanted to to buy that item. They choose between three methods of payment currently on CoinLink, pay with Bitcoin, pay with Ethereum, or regular payment of fiat, uh, and they click go. Uh, We will have someone to process the order on the back end for them. And what that means is uh, if they wanted to buy a bag of Chanel, for example, and they wanted to pay with Bitcoin, uh, we accept their Bitcoin. We go to Chanel, we pay Chanel a fiat, and Chanel ships them the bag. You know, simple one, two, three step. Uh, that is CoinLink, uh, short and long version of it. In terms of your second question, and feel free if you have any follow-up question, your, the second part of your question is definitely yes 
to adoption and scalability. Okay. I believe COVID-19 helped our community a lot. Yes, the world is bad. We're on lockdown. We haven't seen the moon, the sun going out there for what, two to two to three months now. Uh, but COVID-19 uh, helped going to help us further in terms of decentralization, digital currency, and that the, uh, you know, the importance of digital uh, currency. And I believe adoption and scale, uh, scalability will be just around the corner. That's, I agree with that. And I'd love to get your opinion. So there has been back and forth debate about using Bitcoin uh, to make those purchases. Um, one, there is a tax issue, as I'm sure you you know. Obviously, whenever you use Bitcoin in that kind of a fashion, there is a, a capital gain, effectively. It's a realized gain. Um, and I'm sure you're educating your users and your, your future users about that. But it seems that those that are trying to marry this world, and I love this because, as you mentioned, there are companies out there like Lolly that are providing, you know, kind of Bitcoin as uh, as a uh, as a gift when you're buying things online. Um, and then there's also companies like Fold that have introduced their their credit card as well too. You know, there is this marriage that's happening, and it's happening fast relative to what we're used to, but it is happening fast. I'm curious, you know, the knowledge and the education about using your Bitcoin to make those purchases. But then also there is a class of debate about using things like stable coins, um, things like USDT or other stable coins out there, because there isn't that volatility. There isn't that accretion in value that you have to kind of monitor and you have to necessarily report. So do you think in the future you're going to be supporting more stable coins versus Bitcoin? Um, great question, uh, David, and, and a part of your question, um, just like, uh, you know, uh, regulatory uh, bodies like the SEC or FINRA, um, because uh, traditional finance and uh, di- digital uh, assets uh, commingle in certain ways. I mean, we use similar uh, regulations. Uh, in terms of the the tax aspect, when when using Bitcoin uh, to sell for a profit or uh, to use uh, Bitcoin to purchase um, uh, products like through the CoinLink platform, uh, definitely uh, we educate our uh, uh, users that you know uh, using Bitcoin when they sell for a profit or using Bitcoin. Uh, when they buy an item, th- there is a tax consequences. Uh, are are those uh, tax laws uh, really defined as of now? The answer is no. Okay, uh, certainly it is defined uh, in essence in terms of uh, uh, if Jenny bought Bitcoin at a thousand and now Bitcoin is at ninety four hundred, and Jenny sells that Bitcoin, she just profit eighty four hundred per per bit Bitcoin. Tax-wise, simple, simplex, easy. Boom, Jenny pays uh, um, uh, the prof, uh, the capital gains on uh, eighty-four hundred dollars, uh, and that's simple. Uh, in terms of uh, using uh, Bitcoin to purchase an item, uh, similarity method occurs, obviously, uh, but uh, 
you know, for right now, um, uh, it's 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 a similar rule in terms of that. Will that rule change and shift? I'm using the word shift. Uh, later on, I'm I'm sure it will because, uh, uh, as we both know, that the uh, the rules and regulation when it comes to taxes for internet purchases, even right now through Amazon, uh, uh, regular fiat, is different. Uh, than that of a of of of, of me going into a Bloomingdale or um, um, a store to purchase. So uh, we will eventually see uh, those tax law uh, uh, shift and change right in front of our eyes within the next few years. Okay. Uh, to the second part of your question, in terms of using more stable uh, coins uh, like USDT uh, versus that of Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, my take is that. Purpose that I, it took me, my team and I over two years to build, and not only that, the legal behind that, building a platform, uh, you know, if I may share with your audience, building a platform like CoinLink, it takes time, money, but it's actually simple. Anybody can do that. Okay. But the legality, uh, what I call the seamless approach, how you know, a Bitcoin holder or Ethereum or any token, crypto token, can use what they own through the, the, the CoinLink platform and purchase anything. Yes, you can even order a Tesla uh, or a Lambo with Bitcoin or Ethereum. We will process that order for you. It's that seamless approach that I call is our um, trade secret. Uh, and that trade secret has to do with legal. Okay, uh, so the quick uh, answer to to your question is, I want to be able to accept all of the great tokens out there. Because why? My number one priority is adoption and scalability for this community. Yep, and that sounds great. Jenny, this was great hearing about it. What I'd love to do uh, while we're getting to the top of the hour, uh, where can people find out more about CoinLinked? And you know, feel free to direct them to any website or if they can download an app or when they can expect that to happen. And uh, you know, let them know if they want to reach out to you where they can go. Gotcha. Uh, certainly, this is a great uh, opportunity for me. And I'm so, I'm so honored, David. Thank you so much again. Uh, for you, for your uh, listeners and uh, audience out there, um, we we have all three. Uh, we have the website. Uh, users can go straight to the website coinlink.com, uh, or they can download our app uh, via iOS through the Apple Store. Uh, just search for CoinLink uh, or Google Play for the Android app, uh, and also search for CoinLink, and uh, they can test us out. It's free, uh, and if they need any help. Uh, they can find me. I'm also kind of quite active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, JQT, that's Jenny Q Ta underscore CoinLink. That's on Twitter. Uh, or they can email uh, my team, uh, and my team will be there to help them answer any questions uh, that they have. It's uh, simple uh, info at coinlink.com. Great. This was Jenny Kuta, CEO and founder of CoinLink.com. Jenny, it was a pleasure hearing your story and about the 
the trip into digital assets and the build out of another on-ramp to make digital assets more usable and scalable for the industry. Thank you, Jenny. And hopefully we can have you back on in a few months and see how everything's progressing. Be safe. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.